Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm in a series called Made New. And last week I started the first part of my final sermon in this series um, called Walk in Peace. And in this series we've talked about what does it mean to be made new? What does that mean? imply or mean for us as Christians if we're made new in Christ as 2 Corinthians 5 17 says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation made new new creation the old is gone behold the new has come and the question we've proposed is what is this new that has come And so we looked at what Jesus has done in the gospel to bring this new to us, but we've also looked at what it means for us. Last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, we looked at the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength from Matthew 22, 35 to 40. And the second is like it, Jesus says, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And what Jesus says to us is that made new means for us as Christians that we are worshipers and servants of the living God, living in His love to transfer the beauty, the value, the glory of the love of God that has radically transformed us to all the people of the world. And last week we went to a parallel passage known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which we'll continue to look at today. And we looked at, we're not only to live in love, but we are to walk in peace. And we saw through our being made new how it is that we're given peace with God through Jesus Christ and how a disciple takes the gospel and applies it to every aspect of life in the way that they think. In the way that they think. Because what has taken place is our transformation of life, of this newness that Christ has given to us, comes through a renewed mind. Jesus reverses the curse of sin that was placed on Adam and Eve and subsequently every person that followed at the tree in the Garden of Eden when they first chose to break God's word, that their knowledge became perverted, skewed, twisted. And what Jesus is doing is He is renewing that. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Predominantly that pattern is one of intellect and thinking. Before anything else, control center of life but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to discern, cut through the cloudiness and the chaos of the world to see clearly the will of God, which is God's perfect, pleasing, and good will. And so that's what we've been talking about, walking in peace. That's what it means for us to walk in peace. And so as we are seeing we've been made new, I want us to revisit and complete today this walking in peace and see that Christ followers are made new by Jesus to walk in God's peace. To walk in God's peace. And so I'll go to Matthew chapter 28. I'll remind us of the passage by reading that we began with last week. And then we'll complete our time together. And Jesus came and said to them, verse 18 of Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. This passage known as the Great Commission is recorded five times in the New Testament. You might could say six, but it's more applied in the sixth one. The Great Commission distinguishes this second realm in which a Christ follower relates to God. It's the realm of the renewed mind whereby we understand how it is we've been brought into peace with God through Jesus Christ and we walk, or we, uh, that walk being a symbolic term. In other words, we live our life every day in God's peace. And we said last week, I'm going to do a very brief overview of last week simply because it's critical for us to get that in order to get what we're talking about today. But we said the Great Commission teaches us two vital truths. Number one, you must be a disciple to make a disciple. And so last week, we just unpacked, we peeled off to look at the core of what does it mean to be a disciple as a Christian and to follow Jesus. And we also said this, that every true disciple actively engages in making disciples through the gospel. Now, this whole series has been based off of a central principle of identity. And that principle is simply this, that the one you center your life on will determine how you live your life out. That the center of your life, the one that you build your life on, whatever it may be, a thing, a person, an idea, whatever it may be, the one you center your life on will determine how it is that you live your life out. And what we've been talking about is that as Christians, we're brought into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We center our lives on Jesus that the way we live our lives out might be determined by who he is alive within us. It's the principle of identity. And so walking in God's peace means that a Christ follower remembers that Jesus is our peace. Disciple, we remember that Jesus is our peace as we apply the gospel to our own lives in every way and we go forth to share Jesus with others. Missioner. Let me just give you a quick summary of disciple. A disciple is one we talked about last week that learn and follows God's will, always together, never separated. A disciple engages the mind to focus on the authenticity of this new life in Jesus by the renewal of our mind. We're unlearning and relearning constantly that we might follow. Unlearn, relearn, follow. Unlearn, relearn, follow. Fail, learn, unlearn, relearn, follow, right? That's usually how mine goes more than anything. But disciple is only made when the combined qualities of learner and follower stay together to move into trust and obey. Because that's the Christian life. A life of holiness, a life of obedience, a life of righteousness. We talked about how self-denial and suffering become a regular practice in gospel transformation. Because Jesus himself said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. And on, uh, a little further in the Gospel of Luke, he says, For if a, one will not take up their cross, they cannot be my disciple. 
It cannot be my disciple. And then we looked at applying the gospel in four dimensions of the mind. In other words, those four ways of thinking, that first level of thinking being just basic knowledge, factual information, that second level being a perspective of knowledge where we gain comprehension and meaning and we begin to see different levels of knowledge. And so it gives us new perspective. For instance, the word love may be the greatest word for us to look at this level of perspective of knowledge because when we say the word love, we can mean any number of things, right? Like, like I, I love my dog. Should not be the same as I love my children. Now that's a whole other series that I need to preach at some other point. You can tell by the number of pictures on Facebook, I think. Should not be the same as I love my wife or my husband. Should not be the same as I love Jesus. You see, these are not setting things in opposition. They are aligning things correctly in relational obedience to Christ. And I'm saying all that first stuff just to be funny. You know I love dogs. Cats even more. The third level of thinking (laughs) is that pattern of processing that knowledge that we've gained. Where we address patterns and we deal specifically with how you process information in order to make decisions, to form attitudes, to develop convictions and draw conclusions for action. And we're going to deal with that today uh, as we move into the realm of missionary. And the fourth level of thinking is that of wisdom, where all aspects combine for a right application unto obedience. So a disciple applies the gospel in every area of thinking in order to walk in God's peace. So walking in God's peace first means that disciples grow in the authenticity of this new life through gospel transformation that renews the mind to apply the gospel to every area of life, to discern God's will, and to trust and obey Jesus to walk in God's peace. Hence, here we are in this relationship with Jesus. And so the Great Commission teaches that a true disciple actively engages in making Disciples. So just as a Christ follower serves flowing out of a right relationship of love with God, and that's how we live in God's love, so, the, uh, so sharing the gospel as a missioner, as a missioner flows out of a true obedience as we walk in God's peace as disciples. And that's what I want to focus on today, this fourth aspect of our identity of missioner. Of missioner. Missioner is the fourth aspect of a Christ follower's identity in Christ because God's purpose in salvation sends his people as faithful witnesses in the world. You see, God's purpose in salvation is to send his people ultimately in the world. Now, I need to help you see something here today, and I'll revisit this a number of times, but what I'm talking about today is not a A spiritual elitism, special forces Christianity. That's what we've made it though, right? Like those are the bad dudes, man. They're out there, right? Whoo, one of these days maybe. Or I know one, you know. 
No, this is God's will for every Christian. This is God's will that is as essential in salvation as any of his will is for salvation. A Christ follower as missioner seeks to share Jesus as the truth in which they walk with the world in order that the world might know his hope and peace. God's will is as much for you to live as a missioner as it is a worshiper. You cannot live your identity of worshiper, engaging your heart to know God and grow an all-consuming love for Him, unless you are actively engaged in sharing the gospel with the whole world that they too might walk in His peace. This is not multiple choice, pick and choose Christianity. This is understanding all that God has for us. And if we want any of it, we get all of it. In Jesus. Reading all of the gospel accounts of our commission, it helps us to understand our purpose. So, in other words, we see what Matthew says and how he records it. If we went to Mark, Mark would say, Go into all the creation and proclaim the gospel. I mean, Mark's just like, Go outside and start screaming, you know, and start yelling. I'm not, not literally, but I'm saying, He's just saying, Proclaim it, man, with exuberance and, and excitement that Jesus saves. Jesus saves, right? You remember any of you grow up in church and sing that song yeah from the roof of every land shout it shout it I don't remember exactly how it went but Jesus saves Jesus saves that's what Mark and the essence of what he's saying Luke in his gospel and in his historical account in the book of Acts says that we shall receive power when the spirit of God has come upon us and we'll be his witnesses his witnesses throughout all of the world throughout all of the world and then John says that Jesus, he, John records, when he records the Great Commission, he records Jesus' words that say, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And the thing about these five accounts that we have here is that they help us understand our purpose as missioner and how it is that the entirety of our life singularly centers on Jesus to live as one as he is one so what is taking place inside is true to what is growing out through us and we learn one thing when we look at all of them together that God sends Christ followers as missioners hear me to be a personal witness like he sent Jesus personally because he invites people into a personal relationship friends that's so important the critical aspect of Christ followers living as missioners, going in person to other persons, is because God has sent us to invite the world into a personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Christianity is personal in every way and to every extent. So let me kind of summarize missioner in one sentence like I've done for the other aspects of our identity. A missioner engages the feet to focus on Jesus' mission of making disciples of all people. A missioner engages the feet to focus on Jesus' mission of making disciples of all people. Each gospel account provides insight into our identity as missioner. But I want us to see today three characteristics. When we kind of mesh all of these together, I want us to see three characteristics of our new identity as missioner. 
Here they are. The first characteristic I want you to see this morning is that Jesus gives Christ followers a new purpose for your life. A new purpose for your life. When the gospel takes hold of our mind, when the gospel takes hold of our thinking, we conclude this. I no longer live for myself. Now I live for the one who died for me. And for this, I'll take you to Paul's account of what I would consider Paul's great commission, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at this passage with me. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 16. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, who are those? Who are the people that live? Christians, okay? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus gives Christ followers a new purpose for life. Friends, Jesus is not a leech. He's not just something that gets attached to us grotesquely kind of when we walk through the river of church right and we have to come out and clean ourselves off ah no he's not an accessory with which we adorn our lives he is the center of us he is the light of life and that light or he is the light of men and that light was life he is our life The life you live reveals the conclusion that you have reached about Jesus Christ, Christian. When you assess your life, when you look at the regular patterns and habits and thoughts and principles by which you live and everything about your life, hear me say this, that the life you live reveals, it demonstrates the conclusion that you've reached about Jesus Christ. And what Paul says is this, that we have concluded that because one has died for all, we can live for the one who has died for us. This new purpose for the Christ follower's life also gives a new perspective on the world. A new world view, if you will. The very next verse, verse 16, says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Do you see that? We look at Jesus differently now by faith because of the gospel. And because we look at Jesus differently, we look at everything else differently. Everything. Nothing is outside the scope of Jesus and the gospel. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, uh, he was a good dude. He was a good man. He had good teachings. He was a very moral person and highly notable and honorable. He was a good prophet. He said good things. He did good things. He helped a lot of people. All of that is true, but none of it is complete. None of it is complete. We once regarded Christ in this way. We regard him thus no longer. Now, I just want you to listen to the remainder of this chapter, verses 17 to 20. And I want you to understand from what we've said, where it is that this entire series that I've preached picks up. 
Because it's critical for our understanding. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, Christians, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Do you see how Paul is applying the gospel at different levels of thinking and now he's drawing a conclusion about his own life because of the life of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, made new in Jesus Christ is a reality-altering truth with God and with all people in the world. Peace with God clarifies our purpose in this world, friends. We are ambassadors of peace with God to persuade and to labor, to implore people to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. Christ followers walk in peace under Jesus' authority to live sent as his ambassadors. I want you to see what Paul has done in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here. He's done what we talked about in more detail last week and what I just introduced briefly today in this thinking of the gospel in the different levels or dimensions of our mind. He's demonstrating how it is that we should think the gospel at every level in our thinking so that it brings about transformation through renewal of the mind and so that we can share the gospel in every situation. First of all, for ourselves. Some, well, I'd Pastor, I'm not good at, at evangelism or I'm not good at sharing the gospel. Listen, you're no better at sharing the gospel than you are living in it. Because all we are are faithful witnesses. And you see, there's a, there's a big temptation that when you preach on witnessing and evangelism, that people walk out feeling like they got clubbed with the Bible bat. I don't own a Bible bat. But I must labor for the understanding of your life into what it means to be a Christian because there are people, there are people in your life and you may be the only letter God's, of God's love that's being written in their life right now. And they need somebody reading that letter to them. You see, sharing the gospel in any situation is birthed out of us applying the gospel at every level of our thinking. Walk with me into this for just a moment as an illustration of what I'm trying to commend us to. I want to break down this understanding of 
presentation-based evangelism where sit down, I've got four laws that you need to understand. I have four truths that you need to, to get or, or whatever. Listen, I love these methods. I memorize most all of them in my life. But at the end of the day, they're only tools for us. And I'm not addressing tools today. I'm trying to beckon upon you for who you are in Christ Jesus. And I want to dial it down to the most simple nugget of understanding that we can as to who we are in Christ. And I would simply implore you that it's not something that is beyond you. It's the one that's in you that I am asking you to unleash. We must learn to think the gospel at every level in order to share it with others. Think about what we say to others when it really matters most. Not just in casual conversation, though we don't need to dismiss casual conversations. We become so proficient at talking about the weather and everything else that we can totally use those to dismiss and side, sidestep real significant conversations and walk away with a relief. Man, we got out of that. Wow. I'm going to tell you a funny story. I was in a personal evangelism in seminary, a class, and our professor was out one day, and he had a guest preacher come in. Actually, it was a pastor, and this guy, is, even today, is known for one of the most proficient evangelists in the world. He has a very unorthodox means, but here's what he said. He started out with an evangelist story, right? So he said this. He said, man, I was taking a trip one day, and I was getting on an airplane, he said, because all good evangelist stories happen on airplanes, right? If you grew up in the church, you understand every evangelist has that story. Like, and the whole plane got saved. You know, and so you don't feel like you can be an evangelist if you haven't led the whole plane to Christ, you know? Pilate, I'm going to need you to dive for 20 seconds so I can preach the gospel. And these people can't, you know. So here's what he said. He said, I was getting onto the plane, and I was going, God, I know you want me to be an evangelist and share the gospel with people, but I just need you to know I'm tired today, and I don't have it. So if you want me to share the gospel, you're just going to have to break the conversation wide open. And he sat down in his seat, and the person next to him said, it's hot as hell in this plane. And the man said, God made it obvious. And so he I don't know if the man received Christ or not, but God opened the door and made it obvious. You see, what, what we say to others when it matters most matters. But if we haven't thought about these things for our own life, how in the world are we going to be prepared to share them with others? What about when tragedies and crises of life occur? The last thing people need is for us to sit down and go, I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 you that Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures that he was buried and uh, stayed there three days according to the scriptures and that he rose again and God bless you in your tragedy okay see that's all factually true information but sometimes we cease our understanding of the gospel right there and the way we know that is we start to ask the question Lord, what does Jesus dying on the cross have to do for this that I'm going through right now or this person's going through right now? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? You see, when people hurt, they're looking for why it matters and why they should care about what you have to say. 
And you should be looking for, as I think most of us are with any measure of compassion, something that matters to them to show them that we care. Right? They don't need to hear time will heal or pull your bootstraps up and move on. Why? Because time may actually fester deeper infection if the gospel's not present. I know a lot of people that have been living out of their past either to avoid it or to get away from it. Ministry will show you that real fast. And time has only caused the infection to grow and to add layers of cover-up on it. You see, they don't need to hear to explain, well, you know, the Greek word for kairos is God's perfect timing. They don't need to hear that. But let me implore you in this way, that they do need the comfort and the assurance. They need hope from someone who has thought about the gospel and who has applied maybe even the understanding of the word kairos and God's timing. Why? Because God will make all things new. They do need to hear from someone who's thought about God's perfect timing and how he cares and how he wants to love them in this time. They want to hear that God is compassionate, caring, and loving. They want to hear that God can, that he has the power to heal. They want to hear that God will heal, that, that he's willing, and they want to hear uh, that, that, that maybe in his perfect timing, but they don't want to hear an explanation of the Greek term. You get that and, and you see where our understanding of the gospel and how we've applied it to our life becomes so different. Sometimes when you sit with people, that is your application of the gospel. Keep your mouth shut. They don't want to hear anything. They want to be touched. And maybe just squeezed a little bit. You see, so often we get into those moments and we think, oh my goodness, this hurts. This is hard because we begin to empathize with them and we begin to take on some of the pain that they have and we go, God, I want something to end this pain. Remember what I talked about last week, what happens to us when the crises of life stops, we cease the flow of information in and we begin to polarize on some kind of conclusion to bring the situation to an end. But we can't just stop all the bad that happens in this world. We have to open our lives up to the only one that can redeem it. And sometimes a simple squeeze of the hand or a hug says, I am with you until this passes. Because God is with you in the passing of this. Often it won't be your words that come first. The words must come. And when words do come, don't use those words that skip to the end and they rode off into the sunset. Use the words that bring them back to the one whom you represent. Because you are with them. Christ is with them. Do you see that? Do you hear? That's why it matters. And the way you live and the way you've thought and applied the gospel matters. Christian, I want to ask you something out of this very simple illustration. Have you concluded that Jesus died for all? Therefore, you 
can stop living for yourself and live for him who died. If you haven't, I want to invite you to embrace the gospel, take the gospel to a deeper level of thinking in your own heart by applying it to your life and understanding by faith what Christ has done for you. Until you do this, you will always speculate and wonder why the gospel and why Jesus is not of greater satisfaction, of greater meaning, and of greater joy for you. The second characteristic of missionary I want you to see today is this, that Jesus compels us to proclaim and persuade others of peace with God. We bear witness to peace with God through Jesus. And so we live as missionaries to share the message of peace because it's the reality that we're daily walking in in our lives. And missionaries live to persuade the whole world to believe in Jesus for peace with God. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6.15 when he says, as shoes for your feet, this is part of the armor of God, as shoes for our feet, we have the readiness that's come to us by the gospel of peace. Why are we ready to go and to share? Because our feet are shod with the peace of God that we're walking in. He also quotes in Romans 10, 15, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, when he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes, proclaims, peace. You see, Paul cites Isaiah to show us again how it is that we are to think about our gospel sentness, our commissioning, how it is that we live under the authority of Jesus and walk in God's peace. You see, being a disciple readies us to bear a faithful witness because we've applied the gospel by learning and following Jesus to trust and obey him. But living as a missioner does what I would call pressurizes us with urgency that propels us. I'm not talking about an anxiety inducement here, but a conviction-assured watchfulness. That's why he said as ambassadors, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Consider the one who has died for you. We implore you, we persuade you to believe in Jesus. There should be not only uh, 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 an understanding for us, but an urgency in us. For we are clothed with Jesus through the gospel. And that primes a Christ follower with readiness and with urgency to live in the go of the gospel. You see, the best way that a missioner persuades people to believe in Jesus is just simply to invite them alongside us as we walk in his peace. And that brings us to our last characteristics that he commissions us to make disciples. Jesus commissions us to make disciples. Relationship with God leads Christians into intentional relationships with others for the same reason. Friends, if we went to Ephesians 4, which we don't have time to today, but here's what we would see, that the church, the people of God in a local congregation, they are the principal relational place where disciples get made. 
Jesus builds his church when each and every Christ follower engages in disciple making. It's not an elite Christian force. It's the identity of every Christian. And disciples do not get made outside of the church. They get made by the church when missionaries persuade others through the gospel to believe in Jesus. And so Christ followers live as missionaries to share the gospel and to make disciples of all people. And let me bring this one conclusion to Jesus' commission for us. Making disciples demonstrates that we are, in fact, walking in God's wisdom. Proverbs tells us in chapter 11, verses 30, verse 30, that whoever captures souls is wise. Living in wisdom. Living in wisdom. So a Christ follower walks in God's peace through a gospel-renewed mind. But friends, never forget that as Christians, we live in enemy territory. As missionaries, this is where we most confront the actuality and the reality of the place in which we live. And it's enemy territory. It is behind the front lines where the war is taking place. Might I say that Jesus' first message was a political coup on the soul. (laughs) The kingdom of God has come. That's political in every realm, friends. John the Baptist pronounced this, Matthew 3, 2. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus said this, Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John 18, 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, my kingdom is beyond this world, but it is in this world. And listen to what Revelation eleven fifteen tells us. That the kingdom of this world has become, it's proclaiming future tense, what shall be, and God's word will not return void. It shall accomplish the purpose for which it has been set forth. In other words, this is as true today as it will ever be in eternity. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Separation of church and state may get convoluted in this world so that the state can justify the overrunning of the church. But Christians must hold clear. There is no separation between a Christian and their American citizenship. God commissions Christ followers to live as disciple and missioner to proclaim the peace that Jesus gives with God through the gospel and to labor for that peace for all people. And we as Christians, are made new by Jesus to walk in God's peace.